Penny, we're right back at it. Just big picture recap. Colossians is written by Paul. He was in jail at the time. He wrote it to the church in Colossae. He'd never visited there. It was planted by some of his protégés. And one of them, Epaphras, comes to him in jail, brings him this report. Uh, Most things are going well, but there's this false teaching that started to infiltrate the church. The heart of this false teaching is they're devaluing uh, who Jesus is. They don't see him as fully God, and they're devaluing what he did. The cross is not sufficient to enter into and maintain a relationship with God. There's some other stuff that we have to do. So Paul's written this letter back to them to combat this false teaching. And he's what we've spent most of our time on, because what Paul spent most of his time on, is really uh, emphasizing who Jesus is and what he's done. And today we're going to look at the heresy in a little more detail. Uh, we've been going verse by verse. We're not going to do that today because I think most of the details don't necessarily apply to us. The specifics of what was going on uh, in this church during this time period don't necessarily apply to where we live. So I'm going to try to look at it as a unit and see if we can draw out some stuff. So verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. So, uh, the, the, the main characteristics of this heresy, of this false teaching, real quick, uh, one is asceticism, A-S-C-E-T-I-C-I-S-M. Probably never used that word, probably never will. Uh, it's a lifestyle or an idea that a lifestyle of self-denial leads to spiritual growth. Uh, around Easter, on Good Friday, every year, watch CNN, watch Fox News or something, they'll show a video uh, from the Philippines, and there's a, a, a it's a church-ish type group and there are these guys and they walk down the street and they're whipping themselves on the back with this with a whip and then they actually hang a few of their members up on a cross that's kind of the picture of asceticism it's by denying ourselves even by punishing our bodies that allows us to grow spiritually that was one of the things that you see here you see they're talking about what you eat and what you drink there were old testament laws about the food that you ate but there was nothing about what people what people drank, and apparently in Colossae at the time there were some religious leaders who were saying you've got to abstain from certain foods and you've got to abstain from alcohol. In verse, I think it's 22, talks about the harsh treatment of the body. So that's kind of the picture there through a, an idea. The idea is that through self-denial, even through punishing yourself, that's going to allow you to grow closer to the Lord. The second element of this, uh, ceremonialism or legalism, those things are very similar. It's a focus on uh, keeping the Old Testament law. It's what Jesus railed against the religious leaders of his day about over and over and over again. It was focused on the external law-keeping, losing the spirit, the heart, 
behind the law. You see this when they're talking about judging folks based on religious festivals, new moon celebrations, Sabbath days. So there was, again, this group of religious leaders who were saying to people, these days are more holy than these days, and you have to observe these days in this particular way. You can see that um, also in verse 23. It talks about self-imposed worship, this idea that they were telling the people, this is what you need to do, this is how you need to relate to the Lord. Uh, the last, I think I made this word up, supernaturalism. Um, since I made it up, I can make up the definition as well. It's a fascination with supernatural things, but not with God. So it's a fascination, an obsession, uh, an interest in things, in supernatural things, but not with the Lord. And you can see that here. They talk about angel worship. Um, there's, they talk about this, uh, these people who are talking about what they've seen, and it says it puffs up their mind, kind of the picture behind that. Maybe people were having dreams or visions, and then they were telling everybody, I had this dream, and I had this vision, and I went to this trance, and this is what I saw. And again, it was creating two different classes of people, kind of the haves and the have-nots, and they were celebrating these whatever was happening, these spiritual experiences that they were having, but it was not a focus on Jesus. Remember, they've devalued Jesus, and they're elevating uh, these worship of angels and these other experiences that they're having. A couple of things that come from this heresy, the fruit that we see. One is self-righteousness. You see that in verse 18. It talks about false humility. Verse 23, the same thing. talks about false humility. So the, the idea of self-righteousness, for us, a lot of times we think of smug or arrogant. That's not necessarily, that can be, but that's not necessarily the case. What self-righteousness really means, it's, you're relying on your righteousness, your works, your behavior to get into a relationship or maintain a relationship with God. It says that they were delighting in their humility. You can't delight in humility. You can't. You've missed it. If you're delighting in your humility, then you're not humble. You can't be focused on humility. We've said before the definition is dependence upon the Lord. If you're focused on your own behavior, if you're focused on your own righteousness, if you're focused on your own work, very difficult to focus on being dependent upon the Lord because you're focusing on all the things that you're doing. So there's this self-righteousness that had crept in as well as judgmentalism. You see that in verse 16 and verse 18. Don't let anyone judge, which means there are people who are judging, and don't let anyone uh, disqualify you. Uh, the, people that, the picture there is kind of an umpire throwing somebody out of a game saying, don't do that. Don't let other people judge you or disqualify you because of what you are or are not doing. So judgmentalism, that's just basically saying to you or to you or to you because you're not living the way I am. You're not as holy as me or righteous as me or spiritual as me. I'm going to look down upon you. Judgmentalism, self-righteousness. We don't. Again, I've said before, we don't, I don't think we struggle with these behaviors. I don't think that any of y'all get worked up when it's a new moon and whether how you should respond. And I don't think you judge your neighbors based on their what they do on Christmas. I don't think we spend a lot of time talking about what food we do or should or shouldn't eat. And I don't think any of us worship angels. You might read your horoscope, which is silly. I wouldn't do it. But it's, we don't really get into a lot of this, the specific behaviors. But the mindset behind all of it, I do think, is a struggle uh, for many of us. These, different, these specific behaviors, there's an underlying mindset uh, that I want us to spend the rest of our time looking at. This idea of asceticism, for us, again, we don't focus necessarily on food and drink and all those type of things or harsh treatment of the body, but we do focus on our behavior. For a lot of us, we focus on our behavior. It's a trap. If you're um, a responsibility type person, if you're a discipline type person, if you're a performer 
if that's kind of your personality, if you tend to look at everything based on merit, it's what's fair and what's not fair, and look at my resume, this is what I have or haven't done, if that's your personality, then for you, this is, this is a trap. This is something that you need to look out for. Uh, not necessarily this idea that you're going to start whipping yourself physically or hang yourself on a cross, but for a lot of us who have this personality type, again, responsibility, discipline, if you're a performer, merit-based person, when we mess up, when we blow it, particularly if it's something that we've struggled with over time, whether it's a thought pattern or a behavior pattern, if it's an area where we've messed up, there's a tendency for us to pretty quickly start trying to earn our way back into God's favor. That's focusing on our behavior. It's, again, it's the picture, I was late to practice, and so now I've got to run laps. And that's how some of us view the Lord. It could, have been, it could be you were raised in a home where sorry was not good enough. You, you kind of had to do penance for a day or half a week or whatever, depending on what you did, to get back into the good graces of your family. And so for, you kind of projected that onto the Lord. And you get forgiveness in your head. Yeah, I ask, and he forgives me. But it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. It's not fair. It's grace. And for those of us who, who fall into this category, grace doesn't make sense. We don't get it. And in the culture where we live in, grace is not a value. Merit is. And so it's easy to fall into this trap of saying, I've got to work myself back into God's good graces. Yeah, forgiveness, I kind of get that in my head, but I've done this, and so now I've got to get up extra early this week, or I've got to throw a few extra dollars into the plate, or I help a few more old ladies cross the street, or whatever it is that you do to show God that you're really sorry. However you punish yourself, or whatever work that you do, that's works-based righteousness. The second area where I think second opportunity, and this is kind of on the other end of the spectrum, it's kind of the classic bargaining or deal-making with God. God, if you'll blank, then I'll blank forever. We get into a crunch where things are bad, we can't fix it. And so kind of as a last-ditch effort, we're trying to make some deal with God, trying to maneuver him into doing something. There's no money in the bank account. We're like, God, if you'll just get me a job, if you'll just put a check in the mailbox, whatever it is, then I'll... And what we're, what we're doing there is we're basically saying, God, you work in my life based on my behavior, based on what I'm bringing to the table, which is completely wrong. God works in our life based on his character because he's merciful and gracious and kind and loving and all of those things, not because of our behavior. Easy trap to fall into, again, particularly if you're disciplined, responsibility, performance-based person. This idea, this is 1 Corinthians 9, uh, 24 through 27. Do you know that in the race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I, that's Paul talking, don't run like a man running aimlessly. I don't fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave so that after I've preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. If this is you, if you're the kind of person, again, who's this responsibility, performance, discipline, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's you, you can fall pretty easily into this trap. The Bible tells us clearly discipline is good. We just read, that's Paul. I'm not running for nothing. I'm, I'm training. I'm beating my body. It's very easy, it's a slippery slope, very subtle for discipline to become self-righteousness. And that's, that's the step that we want to be aware of. Throughout the New Testament, there are commands. Don't do this. Don't indulge your flesh. Don't indulge 
your sinful nature. So the issue is not that there shouldn't be discipline in our life. There absolutely should. But for those of us who kind of, again, have this responsibility, performance, discipline thing, very easy for that discipline to fall into the ditch of self-righteousness. And again, self-righteousness, it doesn't mean you're smug. It doesn't mean you're arrogant. Some of the people I know who struggle the most with self-righteousness walk around with their head hanging down all the time because they're basing their standing with God on their own behavior, on their own activity, on their own work, and they're not measuring up. And so they're always hangdog because they're always losing. Paul says discipline is important. It's not no discipline. You just need to be aware. You know yourself. If you're prone in this direction, you need to watch out for this slippery slope. It'll be subtle, and it will be unintentional. None of you, none of us are saying to God, I'm approaching you based on my resume. We know that's wrong. None of us are saying, I'm approaching you based on my behavior, based on how righteous I am, based on all of these good works that I've done. None of us are doing that intentionally. But it's subconscious, and it's subtle. It creates insecurity in us. If that's you, if you always feel insecure when it comes to your relationship with the Lord and the presence of the Lord, then most likely you're leaning on your own work and not his work. You're looking to your righteousness and not his righteousness for the basis of your standing before him. If you've ever been in a situation where someone was in authority over you and they didn't like you, you know what that feels like, whether it was a teacher, a principal, a boss, the policeman who pulled you over, whatever it is, when someone has authority over you, even for a short window, if you know they don't like you, that's a bad feeling. We're total, you're standing on sand. You don't know what they're going to do. That's what it's like if you're relating to God based on your righteousness. You're always insecure. You're always worried about messing up. And so for a lot of us, what that causes us to do is close up. Well, I don't want to get an F. I'm afraid, so I'm not even going to try for an A. I'm just going to sit right here on C. I'm going to be mediocre. I'm going to hold on to what I've got. I'm going to do what I know I can do because I'm afraid if I mess up, I'm going to lose everything. He's going to kick me out. I don't want to wind up at the kids' table. So if I want to stay here with the adults, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. That's that insecurity that's bred with approaching God based on our own righteousness. If that's you, if that's where you struggle, you need to be aware. You need to listen to this. This is from Ephesians 2. You need to marinate on this. As for you, this is for all of us. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we are by nature objects of wrath, but because of his great love, listen to that, but because of his great love, not because of anything we've done, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This was not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. You need, if, if you fall into this trap, discipline into self-righteousness, you need, to, you need to read this every day. You need to soak in this. Ask the Lord to make this reality for you. It is by grace you have been saved. It is a gift. It is not a reward for any of the things that any of us have done. It's, all, it's a free gift 
that he has given. And all we do is receive. Ceremonialism, legalism. Again, we don't wrestle a lot with festivals and holy days. We don't do that. But what, thing, what, we, what we do is we focus on externals, which is what legalism is at the heart. It's focusing on externals. All of us have a Christian checklist. You've got one. I've got one. We have this little list of behaviors, what a, what a real Christian looks like. So for, for some of you, it's not drinking in public. So if you see someone who drinks alcohol in public, then you, you know, they're down a notch. Not seeing an R-rated movie. So you hear someone who saw an R-rated movie, you knock them down a notch. Not getting a tattoo. You see the tattoo, and you're like, whatever it is. For some of us, getting up early in the morning. You find out somebody sleeps in, and they're lazy, they don't love the Lord, and you move them down. We do that. We all have an external, we all have a list. Every one of you could write one. I can't, we all have it. And the thing is, if you were to actually write out your list and read it, you would realize, wow, that's me. I'm my list. We make the list based on ourselves. That's how it works. Your definition of a Christian is you. That's how, and my definition of a good Christian is me. That's how it works for us. We can't see into anyone's heart, and by definition, we all think we're fine. So we define following Jesus based on how I follow him, and you define it based on how you follow him. If you're a morning person, you probably think getting up early is better. Those of you who struggle getting up in the morning, you probably think staying up late is better when it comes to spending time with the Lord. We pick the things that are easy for us. It's easy for someone who doesn't like the taste of beer to say Christians don't drink. It's not hard. You don't have to give anything up. I don't want a tattoo anyway, so sure, put that on the list. It doesn't cost me anything. Don't come up with some. I'm not going to come up with anything that costs me. That's how a lot of us work. We all have them. And, and if you look at your list, it probably doesn't have anything to do with pride or arrogance or greed or envy. Those are things that we can't see. None of us can see into the heart of another person. So by default, we look at the outside. For some of you, this, this is kind of the trap. Uh, if you were raised in church, if you've been a Christian for a really long time, if you're kind of a good kid, you've never really messed up huge. You haven't done, you haven't broken any of the big ten rules or whatever. Somebody asks you to share your testimony, you say no, it's not that good because you, you didn't do anything dramatically bad. Those kind of folks, if you're really confident in your behavior, really confident in your understanding of what God requires, and a lot of that again is probably based on the fact that you've been in church for a long time. For those of us, this is the trap that it's easy for us to fall into. Because we've been around all this for so long, it's pretty easy to create a cheat sheet of who's in and who's out. Just like it's easy to go from discipline to self-righteousness, it's easy, if this is the you, if this is a trap for you, it's easy to go from discernment to judgmentalism. This is Matthew 7. So this is the end of Matthew 7. By their fruit you will recognize them, starting in verse 16. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree can't bear uh, bad fruit. A bad tree can't bear, bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. So what Jesus is saying there is discern. Discernment, yes. Absolutely. You will know them by their fruit, by their deeds, by their character. You will know them. You can tell who's good and who's bad based on what they do. Now look back at uh, verse 1. Jesus did not forget in the span of about 30 seconds that he had just said this. Don't judge 
or you too will be judged. That's the most misunderstood verse in the whole Bible. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, Jesus, we just read, he said discern. So to say don't judge doesn't mean you can't look at someone's behavior and make a determination. We were told to do that. But it's very, it's a slippery, just like it's easy for those folks, those performers, responsibility, discipline people, to go from discipline to self-righteousness. It's easy for, the, for, for these people who have been a Christian a long time, people who know the rules, people who are good kids. It's easy for us to go from discernment to judgmentalism. Slippery slope, so easy to fall in that because we focus on the externals. What we're looking for, this is Romans 14.10. You then, why do you judge your brother? Uh, the picture here is um, there's a division in the Roman church over meat. Uh, there was meat that was sacrificed to idols. It was used in pagan worship. And within the church, there were certain people, Paul called them strong, who had a strong conscience. Don't, don't hear that as better. Just That's the adjective. Who had a strong conscience who could eat that meat and it didn't offend them. They didn't care. They didn't feel like doing that was in any way violating any sense of their faithfulness to the Lord. And there were people he said had a weak conscience. Don't hear that as worse. That's just, again, a descriptor who that did offend them. And so they abstained from that meat, and that divided the, the church. You had people who ate this meat and people who didn't eat this meat. And so in Romans 14.10, Paul says this, Then why do you judge your brother, you can kind of put in parentheses, for eating meat? So that's what he's saying to the person with the weak conscience. Why are you judging this guy who can eat meat? He says in the next sentence, Or why do you look down on your brother for abstaining from meat? That's what he says to the strong guy. For we, for we all stand before God's judgment seat. What Paul's saying there is, what's, it, it's easy. If I have, have a sensitive conscience, let's say I have a weak conscience. Sensitive maybe is a better word because weak for us sounds like less, like there's something wrong with us. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. So let's say I have a sensitive uh, conscience, and let's just take something that maybe y'all have all kind of wrestled through is drinking alcohol in public. So let's say for me, I have a sensitive conscience, and I see that as a, you can't do that. As a Christian, you can't drink in public, and we, I can give you 17 reasons for that or whatever, ruins your witness or whatever you want to say. So that for me is a, I have, I'm weak. And let's say Misty, I can say it's because she's my wife and she's not going to leave the church. Let's say she has a strong conscience when it comes to that, and she's like, it doesn't matter. If I want to have a margarita or a glass of wine or whatever she wants to I can do that in public. It, it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink. Jesus said all food is clean, so I can eat whatever I want. And so she would be strong in that example, and I would be weak. You see what I'm saying? She's not better than me. I'm not better than her. What Paul would say to me is don't judge her because she's drinking a margarita. And what he would say to her is don't look down on him because he can't. That's the thing for us. So don't, I don't have a tattoo. Don't judge someone who does. Those of you who do, don't look down on people who don't. You know how all that plays. Don't judge someone who, you know, public school, that's a big deal. You put your kids in public school. Many of you wrestle through that. And it's easy for those, maybe if you're in private school, you can, or in homeschool, and you can look down on people who do public school. And it's easy for people in public school to judge people who don't put their kids in school. And you can see how all of those issues, whether people can wear jeans or shorts to church, if God cares if there's an organ, all of these external things 
that we focus on. And if you look at us, I don't just mean us, I mean us. How much time do we spend wrestling over that? There's over 26,000 denominations. 26,000. Ridiculous. Go back and look at the founding and how many of them were over what Paul calls disputable matters. It's whether or not you can eat meat or whether or not it's okay to play cards or whether or not it's okay to dance or to have musical instruments. What people, whether or not women should wear hats. Those are, people bled for these things. This is Galatians 5. You, my brothers, were called to be free. But don't use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature of your flesh. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to this verse. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. He's saying that to the church, cannibalizing itself over silly issues. The principle for us is freedom. We've all been set free from the bondage of the law. Yes, there are 100%. There are absolutes that we all have to follow. They're black and white. They apply to everybody. And there's like this many of them. And then there's this many of these disputable matters that don't matter to the Lord. It's all based on your conscience. Go back and read Romans 14, first half of Romans 15. It's explicit, very clear chapter. Paul is saying to each man, each woman, rises and falls before his master, her master, that's Jesus. And it's settle it in your heart. If it's settled in your heart that this behavior is okay, it's not over here in the restricted list. You can't decide that having two wives is okay. That's in the restricted list. You can't decide that robbing your boss is okay. That's in the restricted list. But all this stuff over here is good. It's gray. It's disputable matters so it's the principle is freedom i'm i'm free from that miss if she wants to have a margarita she's free to do that tethered by love you've seen those little leash things some people put them on their dogs and some people put them on their toddlers it's the same you know what i'm talking about like you attach and it however far your kid or your pet runs that's how far the the leash goes that's the picture for me to me a fence is a little too static This idea of saying, I'm free, but I'm tethered by love. And how far I exercise my freedom depends on who I'm with. So maybe Misty, because she has a strong conscience, if she's with me, she might say, you know, I'm free to drink a margarita, but I'm not going to. Because I love David, not as a spouse, but as a brother in Christ. I love him, and it's going to cause him to stumble. It's, it's, It's just, it's not worth it. Paul says, why are you destroying your brother over meat, over what you eat? And so, in that case, when she's with me, maybe the tether keeps her from fully exercising her freedom. And then she's with someone else who has a strong conscience like she does, and the tether is extended a little bit. That's the picture for us. We're all free from all of that junk. But we want to exercise our freedom in love, tethered by love. Last, this idea of supernaturalism, again, we don't struggle with that. Y'all don't worship angels. You know, you don't... I don't think you're playing with Ouija boards or magic eight balls. If you are, quit. Don't do any of that stuff. But that's not for most of us. That's not where we wrestle. But what we do, and this is, again, what's underneath this idea of supernaturalism, is where some of us 
are overly willing to rely on other people to do quote-unquote spiritual work for us. If you fought, this is kind of the other end. Guys who kind of fall into what we just talked about, this um, judgmentalism, kind of the, that trap. You've been in church a long time, Christian a long time, confident in your relationship with God and that you know everything, all that. This is for kind of people on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe you're a new Christian. Maybe you've been away from the church for a long time and you're just coming back. Maybe you do, you weren't a good kid. Maybe you're a bad kid and you've got some stuff in the closet that you're not necessarily proud of. Maybe you're not super confident in your, in, in your understanding of the Bible or God. All of those things. If that's you, this is, this is a trap that you could fall into. It's very easy if that's kind of your personality or if that's where you are in life right now to, uh, allow other people to kind of do the spiritual work. And I use that uh, in quotes. It's easy to go from that teachability or that, that, that humility to uh, disqualifying yourself, really from life and from ministry. Some of Beth Moore is wonderful, but, if, but you can read the Bible too. You don't have to have her tell you what it says. And for some of us, we think, well, I don't know enough. I don't have enough background. I haven't been a Christian long enough. I'm not going to understand it. And so we're willing to defer. We're willing to, for somebody else to, you know, it's like a bird who chews up the food and then gives it to their kid. That's what we're looking for. No. No. For some of you, and this is not in any way to denigrate service because service is 100% valuable. We need it. But for some of you, you use that as an excuse to stay in the background. Some of you this week, this idea of leading a small group, you wrestled with it and you decided, I don't know the Bible well enough to be a small group leader. Even though I've said 81 times from this stage, we don't want Bible teachers, we want shepherds. You don't have to know the Bible that well to lead. You disqualified yourself. I haven't been a Christian long enough. Whatever the reason is. You're using those things as an excuse to stay back. Exodus 20 says this, When the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet, they saw the mountain in smoke. They trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, You speak to us yourself and we will listen. But don't have God speak to us or we'll die. Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. God's come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. There are roles in the body of Christ. Yes, I get it. But for some of us, again, kind of this... Maybe you're a new Christian, maybe you've got a bad history or whatever. For whatever reason, you've decided, I'm going to let other people do that. I'm just going to hang back here in the back. You let other people do the quote-unquote spiritual work, and you just rearrange chairs. People have to rearrange chairs. But if you're using that as an excuse to withdraw from actually engaging other people in ministry, then you've disqualified yourself. You've gone from being teachable and being humble, to removing yourself really from the stream, the flow of God's grace. Listen to this. This is for all of you who are Christians. Romans 8. You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. You received the spirit of sonship or the spirit of adoption. And by this spirit we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That's for all. If you're a Christian, that's you. You've been adopted into the... You're a son, man or woman. You're a son of God. You're a co-heir with Jesus. Everything he's going to inherit, you get to inherit. There's no reason for you to hang back. There's no reason for you to disqualify yourself from aspects of life or ministry. 
None. So don't. It's not humble. It's wrong. Flat out. It's wrong. What you're saying to God is, I don't trust you in me enough to take this. That's not what you're saying verbally, but that's what you're communicating by your actions. You, have a, you don't have a spirit of fear. And if that's, if that's you, if you struggle, when, when kind of, there's, yes, there's things that we should be afraid of, and of course there can be some caution and even some timidity when we're moving into a new direction. You've never led a small group before, and you feel like you're going to. Yeah, you can be nervous about that. That's fine. The issue is not whether or not you're nervous. The issue is whether or not you're going to let the fact that you're nervous keep you from stepping ahead. And if it's keeping you from moving forward, if it's keeping you from having a conversation with somebody, if it's keeping you from moving forward with your deal like Jeff and Bliss have done, if it's keeping you in some way, if it's holding you back, then it's, it's not, it's not, that's not being teachable and that's not being humble. That's telling the Lord, you're not saying this, but it's communicating to him. You don't trust him. You don't trust him in you enough. That's not what you mean, but it's what you're communicating. This is the deal for all of us. Verse 19, he, this, these people, these religious leaders, these folks who struggle with disqualifying themselves, people who struggle with judgmentalism, people who struggle with self-righteousness, most of us fit in one of those categories. We've lost connection with the head, with the source, with Jesus, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligament, excuse me, held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. So there you've got the contrast there. Over here you have this whole set of stuff that people have made up that looks good on the outside. He says in verse 23, the appearance of wisdom, it has this self-imposed worship, it looks humble, it looks really good. And over here you've got what God has done, the cross. Jesus. And he's saying, those are your two choices. And if you read verse 23, he says, all this stuff over here that we create, it doesn't even work. It doesn't deal with our problem. Our problem is our sinful nature. And he says, Paul says, it doesn't have any value when it comes to restraining our sinful nature. None. So not only is it harder to do, it doesn't work. So don't choose it. Take this, which you have, all you have to do is receive, and then you have to obey. You receive first, and it works. It takes care of our sinful nature. We're going to close, and this is how I want us to close. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you all to uh, respond. You know yourself. You know if uh, which of those ditches you're prone to. If you're prone to the discipline falling into self-righteousness, if you're prone to discernment falling into judgment, if you're prone to humility falling into disqualifying yourself from ministry. Father, my prayer right now is as we kind of quiet down before you that you bring conviction to our hearts if there's an area where we're missing it, if we become disconnected from you in some way, Jesus, if we feel far you need to, I need to, we need to hear. That's, that's where this thing goes. Even though we're not doing any of these things intentionally and it's subtle, ultimately, if we're falling into those ditches, we're going to wind up being disconnected from Jesus. We're going to disconnect ourselves from the source. And then we're in a world of hurting. So we want to fix it now. You might not feel far from him, but if you're falling into those ditches, it's just a matter of time. 
And this is what I want you to do. If, if you struggle in one of those three areas, I just want you to stand up in your seat. The boldness or the humility to do that. You're not going to tell anybody which one you struggle with. So it's one of three. But I want you to stand up. And now, if there's anyone still seated, uh, I want you all to gather around these guys. Do your best. And I want you all just to start to pray. And you might just be able to touch somebody briefly and move on to the next one. Lily, you can wander around. Alia, you kind of wander around. Pray for these guys. Pray like you mean it. You don't have to know what's going on in their life. But begin to pray for them. They were bold enough to stand up and say they needed help. Ask the Lord to help them. Verse 19 says, The whole body is supported and is held together by its ligaments and its sinews. That's us. That's us being the body. Be the body now. Some of you who've stood up, you need to put your hand on the person next to you and begin to pray for them. I would say especially if you're one of these people who disqualifies yourself from ministry, take a step and pray for somebody as a sign of faith and that you recognize the Holy Spirit lives within you. Begin to pray for one another. You don't have to be eloquent. Just honest. God, my prayer for those who struggle with this idea of self-righteousness. God, my prayer for us is that we would get grace. We would understand. We were hired at 5 o'clock. We were not hired at 6 in the morning. And everything that you've given to us is because you're good and because you're kind and because you're loving, not because we've earned it. God, I pray that we would understand the security that comes from basing our relationship with you on grace and on your character and not on works and our behavior. Lord, I pray that the reality of Ephesians 2 would sink deep into our hearts and that we would live out of the fact that we've been chosen, adopted by you. That when we were still dead in our sins, you saved us because you loved us. God, I pray for those who struggle with this issue of judgmentalism. Lord, I pray for us that you give us grace to allow everyone to live in the freedom that you purchased, Jesus. That we would not try to throw anybody back under the yoke of the law. We would not try to handcuff anybody to our description of what a Christian should be. That we would allow ourselves and others to live in freedom. Freedom tethered by love, but to live in freedom. God, I pray for us as a church. God, for the downtown body of Christ, that we would stop bickering over silly things. God, that you would unite us as your bride. You don't see us as Baptist and Methodist and Presbyterian and whatever we are. God, you see us as 
your children, your family, your bride. God, I pray we begin to function that way. We would not let worship styles or dress codes or modes of baptism or whatever divide us anymore. And God, I pray for those who disqualify themselves from ministry and really even from large chunks of life. My prayer for them is they would hear you say every morning when they get up, this is my son, this is my daughter, whom I love. With him, with her, I'm well pleased. We would live out of that statement, out of that reality. The God of the universe is pleased with us. If you're for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from your love? Nothing. God, thanks for today. Thanks for moving in our hearts. Thanks for these guys. I pray you bless them. Uh, Bless us as we go. God, I pray for folks who are maybe starting school back this week and just kind of getting back into the fall, that you'd be with us during the transition, that we would be uh, sensitive to what you're saying to us as we're Uh, saying yes and no to different activities as we're, again, kind of moving into the next season of, of life. We'd be led by your Spirit in that. Any who maybe feel anxiety over that, children or adults, Lord, we pray for your peace there. And pray that this week would be abundant, full, rich, full of peace, of joy, of life and love. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys are free to go. And we'll see you next week.